Many working women forced to stay home during the current crisis have discovered they have children. These children need to be cared for, fed and educated, and are a pain in the neck in many other ways as well. So as a public service, I'm offering my personally made up suggestions on how to homeschool your child. First, you may find that having been sent home from public schools, your five and six-year-olds are no longer receiving important lessons in such subjects as gender fluidity and how white people killed the Indians. You might want to use the time they would have been studying these subjects to teach them equally useful activities, like soaking Kleenex in toilet water and then hurling it at your little sister. If you want to add an educational aspect to this, you can pretend little sister is an Indian who was innocently going about the business of burning down her brother's log cabin when he hurled the soaking Kleenex and then cruelly laughed at her before taking all her empty land away and building New York on it. Here's another helpful hint. Some public schools have introduced newfangled teaching methods, like drugging your son into semi-consciousness with Ritalin and calling the police when he makes a finger gun. If you're not up on these ultra-modern techniques, you might want to replace them with more tried-and-true public school practices like flogging and exorcism. And finally, you may occasionally overhear your child praying to God to let the quarantine last forever so that mommy doesn't go back to work and leave him alone again. If this happens, take your child aside and gently explain there is no God, and if there is, and he even thinks about granting that prayer, you will burn his house down <laughs> and make sure God knows it's all your child's fault. Then tell your child the quarantine is over and you're going back to work and hide in the bathroom for the next eight hours or until the kid moves in with your ex. Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing. Hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, tipsy-topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hooray, hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hooray. Well, that opening was just plain mean, and I hope many of you are writing in to complain. I'm a fan of the espionage thriller novels of Daniel Silva. He writes a series about an Israeli assassin who goes around bumping off people who have oppressed Jews. And since that's everybody, he kind of takes the license to kill to a whole new level. The Silva book I'm reading now includes a description of the diners at a fashionable Washington, D.C. restaurant. It says, quote, its well-heeled clientele were members in good standing of Washington's ruling elite, lawyers, lobbyists, journalists, diplomats, and intellectuals from the city's most prominent policy shops and think tanks. Most were Democrats and leftward-leaning. They were globalists, environmentalists, and supporters of reproductive rights, unrestricted immigration, universal health care, robust gun control, and a guaranteed basic income for those at the bottom of the economic ladder, unquote. Now, I strongly suspect that's a very accurate description of the D.C. elite. I don't think Silva is attacking them. I think he's just describing them. And it explains a whole lot about their reaction to Donald Trump. One of the things that goes with being a ruling elite is a certainty constantly confirmed by everyone you know that you are basically right. Not right about every little thing, but right in your general view of the world. It's more about class than facts or logic. The things you think are the things people like you think, and people like you are the best people. Just ask other people like you. Trump has committed the unforgivable sin against these people of being right while not being one of them. He's certainly right about abortion and unrestricted immigration, and I agree with him wholeheartedly on gun control. But the big revelation for me is globalism. 
I always had a problem with globalism because it put Americans out of work, and I was never totally comfortable with my right-wing friends who shrugged at that and talked about how at least the unemployed got cheaper iPhones, and if their communities fell apart, they could just move. But until this pandemic, it never occurred to me that the moral errors of globalism go much, much deeper. Globalism lifts the world's economy and helps the world's poorest by moving jobs that once belonged to the American working class to hell holes where the poor can be underpaid and save us money. In doing this, it empowers the worst nations on earth by putting the production of supplies we need in their hands, even if they hate us. It's like the UN, only with slave labor delivering big profits for rich people. I like free trade. I like helping poor people. But that's not enough to keep the world working well. The world is not a marketplace with countries competing as businesses because some countries, like China, are run by evil people who want to destroy everything that is good, including us. To get the right global mix, we need free trade, helping poor people, and one more thing. We need to put America and America's workers first so that the good guys maintain the upper hand at all times. Trump was completely right about this, and the elite were and are completely wrong. And so I'm going to sit here and hold my breath until the elite apologize to Trump and change their minds. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> we'll talk more, a lot more about this. But first, let's talk about rockauto.com. Why? Because I love saying rockauto.com. And because if you need a car part, you're not going to go into the store right now and talk to a guy behind a computer who's not only sneezing on you, but also doesn't know any more about car parts than you do. You can get it just as easily by going on rockauto.com. Plus, you get to say rockauto.com, which is worth the price of his mission, which isn't bad because rockauto.com always always has good prices on their spare parts. RockAuto.com's catalog is unique, and remarkably easy to navigate. RockAuto.com has everything you need, from things I've never heard of to brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or for the car you drive around in every day, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks while saying, rockauto.com. They always offer the lowest prices possible. They don't change the prices according to the market. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Clavin in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you and also write it in their box that says, How do you spell Clavin? There are no E's in Clavin. I just, I really just make it look this easy. It's hard to believe. So I got to tell you, it is rare. It is rare that I get bemused by the behavior of our friends in the elite leftist media, speaking of elites. But yesterday, I got to tell you, it was amazing. Trump held his daily briefing and the press hates these briefings because they're making him more popular because people can see that he's doing the right thing. And he's got the the private sector mobilized. And it's because we have such a good private sector that uh, we can get this, all these people mobilized and they're making masks and, uh, you know, 3M is is uh, ramping up production for respirators and all these different uh, companies are res- ramping up production of things we need. And he brings on the and Trump brings on to speak the my pillow guy, Mike Lindell. You've probably seen him on TV. And he talks about the fact that he's retooling his pillow factories He's cut nine. Given our current business lines, we are experiencing the effects of this pandemic firsthand. But my pillow is done. We've established an internal task force which is monitoring future needs of companies across the country as a result of this pandemic. And given our position, we've begun to research and develop new protocols to address the current and future needs of U.S. businesses across multiple sectors. 
how companies are going to prepare themselves when they once again open up and and changes to their current operations in order to adjust to future threats and pandemics. My pillow has designated some of its call center to help U.S. companies navigate the many issues that resulted from this pandemic. We've, de we've dedicated 75% of my manufacturing to produce cotton face masks. Um, up to in three days, I was up to 10,000 a day. By Friday, I want to be up to 50,000 a day. 75% of his factories producing face masks, which we need, which they now know. But before they said they don't help, now they know they do help. And then my pillow guy went off and said this. Thank you, Mr. President, for your call to action, when, which has empowered companies like MyPillow to help our nation win this invisible war. Now I wrote something off the cuff, if I can read this. Okay. <laughs> God gave us grace on November 8, 2016, to change the course we were on. God had been taken out of our schools and lives. A nation had turned its back on God. And I encourage you to use this time at home to get to home to get back in the word, read our Bibles and spend time with our families. Our president gave us so much hope where just a few short months ago, we had the best economy, the lowest unemployment and wages going up. It was amazing. With our great president, vice president and this administration and all the great people in this country praying daily, we will get through this and get back to a place that's stronger and safer than ever. Oh, my Lord, the left went nuts. You got the free market, you got praising Trump, and you got praising God. That tore it all over the place. Joy Reid, oh, my Tiger King binge was interrupted by his text saying the CIO, CEO of my pillow is now part of the presidential briefings. Please tell me this is a prank. The Palmer Report, American hospitals have refrigerator trucks full of dead bodies parked around back. But sure, let's hear from the my pillow guy. <laughs> Just love the rage, the choking on the acid of hatred is all this stuff. It's like, he just, I don't know the my pillow guy from Adam. I don't have a my pillow. But who do you think, who do you think is speaking more to Americans in that moment? Who really, who is talking to Americans and who is talking to the people who are dining in that Washington, D.C. elite restaurant? You guess. All right, <laughs> let's talk. Let us talk, though, about the, the actual things that are going on in the world. I just an amazing. I, you know, there are some things that just really make your mind spin around, even though you've seen them a million times. Yesterday, the other thing that people went nuts about yesterday were Fauci's new estimates of how many people may die. And I played the clip yesterday, so I won't play it again. But it was Fauci. I explained this about I'm learning about this. I'm learning about computer models. Right. And he put in a computer model on, on Monday. There's one disease and on Tuesday. There's two disease and d diseases. And the computer model says, oh, the disease is doubling. So within, you know, 20 days, it's going to be a gazillion people, right? That's what the computer model does. And then it sees, oh, now it's 15 days later and that didn't happen. So you put in some more data and you put in some assumptions and they're all human assumptions. They're not computers don't make assumptions. Only humans make assumptions. So they're putting in assumptions and they put it and the thing gets closer to what's happening now. Computer models don't predict the future. They predict yesterday. OK, that's why that's why you have goofballs like AOC saying like, oh, we're all going to die in 12 days because because the computer model sees a trend and it just extrapolates on that trend. And yes, scientists do put in information hoping to get a closer uh, idea, but it's just a guess. It's all a guess. And what was amazing to me was that Fauci said that. He said, I don't want to be held to this. This is what the computer models are saying. 
a tenth, right? This is a tenth, what he said, 100 to 200,000, which worst case scenario is a tenth of the 2.5 million, less than a tenth, of the 2.5 million they were predicting originally. So it drops by nine tenths. So everybody should be saying, oh, look, Donald Trump, he saved everybody's lives. <laughs> he saved these 2 million lives, right? Because now it's just going to be 200,000. But instead it's, oh, there's tr refrigerator trucks filled with bodies. Look, they, they, I'm sure they have to put bodies somewhere so far, and the, this is going to go up, and I'm not belittling this, but so far, something like 3,500 people have died, which is under two days of heart attacks, right? So, I mean, it's a coronary disease, at least. So, I, I'm not saying it's not going to be terrible. I'm not saying it's going, but he's, those, are just, those are just the estimates. And my friend, who has explained all this to me, had estimates that were much lower than that. And there's no reason to think that the worst case scenario is going to be the case. But everyone went nuts. And it's all because of Donald Trump. And we played Pelosi saying Donald Trump fiddled while people died and all this stuff. It, and it, it's just not true. First of all, uh, Clea, uh, Cleta Mitchell at The Federalist has a timeline of things that happened and basically points out that on January 17th, the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security announced that American citizens returning from travel restricted countries were being rerouted to specific airports where they'd be screened and isolated. And by January 21st, the first case of coronavirus appeared in the U.S. The CDC confirmed the second case on January 24th and said the risk to Americans remain low. This is the CDC, right? This is the CDC. And everybody keeps quoting Trump saying it's not a problem. It's not a problem. But the point is, is this, this is what the CDC was telling him. So when he listens to the experts and he extends the stay-at-home recommendation from the federal government, then he's wonderful, Trump, because he listened to the experts. But when he listened to the experts saying the risk was low, then he's bad, Trump, because the experts got it wrong. It is an amazing, amazing way to look at the news. Plus, Trump does... Uh, you know, the and, and by the way, the World Health Organization is praising China for their speed and openness in dealing with the virus. And then, you know, Trump shuts down the borders. When he does that, Joe Biden says, no, that's a terrible thing. It's xenophobic. Don't shut down the borders. That has been uh, even Fauci says that saved a lot of lives that he did this. So, you know, Trump, obviously, whenever he gets attacked, he hits back. Let's let's play Trump hitting back at Pelosi for what she said. It's a sad thing. Look, she's a uh, sick puppy, in my opinion. She really is. She's got a lot of problems. And that's a horrible thing to say, especially when I was the one. And, you know, I've gotten from fair people, uh, you know, a lot of accolades. And I don't want the accolades, but it, it's just in terms of a fact. Uh, when I stopped all very, some very, very infected, very, very sick people, thousands coming in from China long earlier than anybody thought, including the experts, nobody thought we should do it except me. And I stopped everybody. We stopped it cold. It had never been done before in the history of our country. And Dr. Fauci said the other day, if those people came in, if they, if I didn't do that, you would have had uh, deaths uh, like you right. have never seen before. And, you know, she doesn't mention that. And that was early. And, you know, and, and Trump has a thin skin and maybe he shouldn't hit back every time. But listen, you know, the, the World Health Organization was praising China and covering for China. The media was were so, so worried. We were calling this the Chinese virus. Nancy Pelosi was out in Chinatown saying, come to Chinatown, everybody. Come and join me in Chinatown. You know, and, and all they do is they hit at Trump. And the rollout of masks mostly because of the CDC and the FDA, not because of Trump, but the rollout of masks was slow. And that, masks, I'm sorry, the rollout of tests was slow. And that has been a, a damaging problem. And that's why it's good that the private sector is now coming in and doing stuff. But the thing is, 
It's a disaster. You know, it's a disaster. It's an unexpected event. It's an unexpected event. And people make mistakes. So I feel like every week I read a little bit of the column from Walter Russell Mead because he just writes such a good column in the Wall Street Journal. I'm going to read a, just a little bit of this because it's worth pointing out. He makes an excellent, excellent point. He says, certainly, and remember, Mead is no lover of Trump. He hits him hard when he hits him. He says, certainly the initial U.S. response was flawed. The Trump administration and local and state officials should have made much better use of the time gained by President Trump's much criticized but now universally imitated coronavirus travel bans. The time could have been used to get the country in substantially better shape for testing and treatment, and an earlier adoption of strict social distance protocol would have impeded the spread of the virus significantly and reduced the projected death toll. (laughs) He should mention that would have happened if the president were Merlin, okay? (laughs) If the president could see and do and know all, which he can't. He can't do it. He said, then he says this, It's much too soon to say that America is failing a historic test. What is it being graded against? Thanks to bad strategic and operational decisions in 1941, U.S. Pacific forces were sitting ducks when war broke out. Except mercifully for its aircraft carriers, the Pacific fleet was concentrated and poorly guarded in Pearl Harbor. This was followed by a debacle in the Philippines. They made the, these things made the war longer and bloodier than it would otherwise have been, but victory came in the end. The Civil War, World War I, even the Cold War saw a similar pattern of fecklessness and confusion in the early stages. I said this a long time ago. That's how I know Walter Russell Mead is so intelligent because he says things that I said weeks later. How dare you? <laughs> but the thing is, what you know, remember FDR said, we have nothing to fear when, during the Depression. We have nothing to fear, but fear itself. Can you imagine Jim Acosta sitting there going, Mr. President, you said we had nothing to fear. You played down the Depression. You know, no, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. And the people get this. See, this is the thing. The, Ameri- the, the elite don't get this because they're so ticked off at Trump for being right about all the other stuff, about the borders and about abortion and mostly about globalism, which was making them rich, which was making them rich right off the work of like little Chinese slave workers while it was giving China control of, of products that we need. They're so angry at him for being right while, they're, while not being one of them. It's an ult- the ultimate sin. You can be right while you're one of them, but to be right when you're not one of them, no, no, no. Even being and being wrong, of course, when you're one of them is even when you're not one of them is even worse. But the people are judging Trump against the world. They are judging Trump against other places and how they're dealing with it. The mainstream media is still reporting China's numbers as if they're real. They're not. They're judging them against the elites who would have opened the borders, left the borders open, who sent our jobs overseas in the first place, who entangled us in Afghanistan for 20 years while appeasing China and Iran. I mean, these guys in Daniel Silva's restaurant, and again, Silva's not attacking them. I am. (laughs) These guys have nothing to brag about. They have nothing to say, oh, we did this right while you did it wrong. They have nothing to hit Trump on. Really, they really don't. It is not that Trump doesn't make mistakes. I mean, that's a, it's a stupid metric. It's a stupid metric. Who survives the metric of making mistakes? It's that he's doing a good job. He's trying to get it right. He's bringing in the private sector. He's, they follow him. They'll do what he says, what he asks them to do because he's been good to them. And the, the elites have gotten just about everything wrong not just over the over the Obama administration, but for the last 20 years, they need this shakeup. They need Trump. All right. Ring. I'm not letting anybody in.
but I still want to talk to them, right? I'm not letting anybody in my house. We, the, the first priority in this current crisis is to save the Claven. That is why nobody can come into my house, but I do want to talk to them, and you can talk to people with your Ring doorbell. With a Ring doorbell, you are connected to your home no matter where you are. And where are you? Your home. You're in home, but you're not opening the door. So you want to talk to people through your Ring doorbell. And you also want security during this time. And Ring will also give you uh, things like a, a uh, sensor that will turn on floodlights when somebody comes on. Ring detects motion when people come onto your property. Ring's video doorbells let you answer the door and check in from your home anytime, anywhere, namely at home, because that's where you're going to be. A package delivery, a surprise visitor, you can tell them to get, get away by using your Ring door, doorbell. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Clavin. The Welcome Kit includes the Ring Video Doorbell 2 and Chime Pro. I have the doorbell too, which is really good. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Clavin. That's ring.com slash Clavin, because even in this crisis, no one should be allowed in your home unless he knows how to spell Clavin. There are no easy things. <laughs> there aren't. It's K-L-A-V-A-N, the easy part, all comes from me. So, meanwhile, you know, we have to talk, everybody says we don't want to talk about politics, but of course it's, it's all political. Everything is political, and there's no, there's no sense in blaming Trump for, for being a political guy when everybody is being political, and especially, especially our news media. NBC is very worried about what is happening to Joe Biden's campaign. We're all very worried about Joe Biden. I just, I want to play the, the NBC, the Today Show clip. Do we have that? It should be, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 17. The coronavirus pandemic has temporarily transformed nearly every aspect of American life, including the race for the White House. Virtual campaigning is now the new norm for Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. And with President Trump seizing the national spotlight day by day from the White House, the Democratic candidates have had to find new ways to connect with voters. So, so this is one of the reasons, by the way, you heard, you can hear the, the anxiety in his voice that, that uh, Donald Trump is seizing the White House. These briefings are, he later says these briefings are his new rally. And this is why you're getting Don Lemon uh, saying stuff like this. I'm not actually sure, if you want to be honest, that we should carry that live. I think we should run snippets. I think we should do it afterwards and get the pertinent points to the American people because he's never, ever going to tell you the truth. It's obvious. It's transparent to me. This has become those um, press briefings have become his new apprentice. They've become his new rallies. And he treats the press and the media as if he's talking to the people in his rallies. It's the same thing. It's no different. It's just that the audience is not there. Well, the audience is there. It's getting huge, huge ratings as Trump is bragging about. By the way, he's talking to Chris Cuomo there, who's just been diagnosed positive with the virus, uh, and I hope he gets well soon. I always like ragging on Chris Cuomo, and I hate being interrupted to have to pray for the guy, but I will. So, Chris, get well soon so I can go back to ragging on it. Uh, no, I really uh, hope he gets well. It's uh, uh, sad news. Um, so MSNBC has Joe Biden on and asks him the question that's on everybody's mind. Over the last two weeks or so, I've had a lot of people ask me online um, every single day, where is Joe Biden? As a candidate for president, are you making yourself visible enough, especially during this crisis? Because it is a fine line to walk. You certainly don't want to be seen as the candidate who is politicizing a pandemic when Americans face this crisis. Everything that I have done 
has been designed to be constructive. You may recall, I was the first one to call for the president way back in January 17th to take this seriously. A real serious crisis is coming, an article I wrote. I talked about doing the Defense Production Act before anyone came along. I put together a group of people who are outside experts who don't don't adhere to any party. They've served for four different presidents to say, what do we need to do now? I've been on the phone. So the best I can do from my position is to lay out what I think should be done. You don't know what you're talking about, do you? <laughs> wait, wait, just a minute. Give, a, give the man a chance to explain himself. All of America is asking, where is Joe Biden? Where is Joe Biden? So what would he do? Here he is explaining it. Cut to listen to this very closely so we know how to behave during this crisis. And in order to avoid that, those very high numbers, we have to do at least several things. One, we have to uh, depend on what the president's going to do right now. And first of all, he has to uh, tell, uh, uh, wait till the cases before anything happens. Look, the whole idea is he's got to get in place things that were shortages of. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. I hope you guys were taking notes because you want to remember whatever whatever he just said. You don't want to forget it because someday it may, who knows, maybe you'll hold it up to the light or you'll hold a match under it and it'll somehow come clear what the hell he's talking about. It's WWJBD. What would Joe Biden do? Unbelievable. I mean, this is a this is a disaster for the Democrats. I and I know there are these polls saying Joe Biden beats Trump here and he beats Trump there. I don't believe it. I don't believe a word of it. The enthusiasm gap, the enthusiasm for Joe Biden is like at 25 percent. So that's a lot of Democrats answering those polls going, yeah, I'll vote for Joe Biden on the day. They're going to be like, it wouldn't be such a bad thing if maybe my car is broken. <laughs> I don't go in and vote for Joe Biden. They're all hoping Andrew Cuomo uh, will take his place. We'll talk more about Cuomo as the week goes on. Uh, some of the stuff about him, because he's just the only reason they love him is because they don't know him. Meanwhile, meanwhile, this other thing is happening is is these uh, accusations against Biden for sexual malfeasance. And there are a lot of them, you know, there I mean, it's not just one, but the, the worst one so far is this woman, Tara Reid, a writer, a former staffer, worked with Biden uh, when he was a senator in Delaware. She's talking about 1993. But remember, you know, Biden is 152. So in 1993, he was still, you know, 97 or something. I'm doing the math in my head. But but anyway, I mean, this is this is not a young man. Uh, this is a grown man. And this is what Tara Reid says he did to her. We we're in a semi-private place. It wasn't private. He was at first talking to someone, they went away, and then he said, here. And then when I gave him the gym bag, it happened all in one motion, almost. And he had me um, against the wall. And then his hands were down my skirt and up my skirt. And I was wearing, um, I wasn't wearing face or anything. And um, he then, with his hands, uh, um, went from there and uh, entered me with his hand and as he was trying to push me and saying things to me. So when I tell you what happened, it's hard because everything's kind of happened at once, but there were incremental parts to it. So, you know, that that's pretty bad. Most of the other ones are things like he rubbed his hand down me, you know, the stuff we see Joe Biden uh, doing to people, making women feel very, very uncomfortable. And, you know, I, I talked about this during the Kavanaugh thing. Uh, you know, uh, 
when you're a young man, especially like 16, 17, and you're virtually, uh, it's very hard to control the hormones going through you. I'm not making excuses for anybody, but I would go back. And when I talked about Kavanaugh, I said, I really don't care if he did something wrong, as long as it wasn't rape or criminal. Uh, when he was a kid, I know I as a kid did things that I, I certainly regret. But I grew up, you know, this is a grown man. I grew up. What is it? Why, is it? why did these guys skip that stage of growing up? So my problem here is not with the accusation. I don't know if they're true or not. I'm not convicting the guy at all. My problem is the way the press covers them, okay? Our friends at MRC have a put together a montage of how they covered Kavanaugh before Blasey Ford uh, testified. Here's the, that, uh, that montage with music. He's the type of person who could be so vile, and he lies about that, and he lies about whether or not he got the documents, and he's lied about what he's done to these other women, and he's a liar. Really big red flags to me, and this is just the latest one. I don't think Brett Kavanaugh takes women's pain very seriously. Kavanaugh simply refers to it as the accuser. Kavanaugh has lied multiple times. Kavanaugh's potentially lying, and that to me is disqualifying. This is not a, a court of law, right? So this doesn't need to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Credibly accused. Credibly accused. Credibly and authoritatively accused. Credibly accused of sexual assault involving teens. Who are you going to believe? She's being bullied into showing up four or five days after this letter is leaked to be questioned by 11 white men. Panel white men. 10 white men. White men. All white men. Wolf pack of white men. All white men. Asking her, um, you know, aggressive and obnoxious questions. Why not pull the nomination? Pull the nomination. Kavanaugh is quite overcooked. So, I mean, this is that that's pretty incredible. I said it at the time. It was pretty incredible. I thought if the election had taken place right after this, Trump would have uh, the, the midterm election. Trump's the Republicans would have won by a landslide. But there was, of course, all the time between for Trump to stick his foot in his mouth. And he did. But here's how they cover Biden's these accusations against Biden. And these women, they're coming forward, you know, saying they were uncomfortable. And here's how they're covering that. We're still weeks away from Biden's anticipated entry into the presidential race, and the accusation made over the weekend speaks to a part of his behavior that some find harmless, but that his accuser says deserves more scrutiny. As the immediate frontrunner, he's going to expect a lot of scrutiny, especially as standards for what used to be acceptable interactions have changed for a lot of women in this Me Too era. And fighting back. Former Vice President Joe Biden responds to those accusations of inappropriate affection by the woman who says he kissed her head and invaded her space at a campaign event. Now the women coming to his defense. Now, I, again, I'm not uh, actually accusing Joe Biden or condemning him or saying they're wrong. And, I, and I'm perfectly willing to, to think that maybe they misinterpreted it and he's a handsy guy and he didn't realize that. That the one woman, Tara Reid, that he needs uh, to explain. But, it, but maybe it didn't happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Some people are hitting the right wing and they're saying, oh, well, you didn't cover the Kavanaugh story, but now you're all on top of this. But that's a lie. That's a false equivalence. We did cover it. I did cover it. All I said was the guy deserved. I said two things. One, I didn't care about. I didn't care about the actual charge. But the other thing, I said the guy deserves due process. He deserves due process. In this case, with the exception of of Tara Reid, the other things, no. Would I not vote for a guy because he did those things? No. I think they're sloppy. I think they're boorish. I think they're bad. But I would not not vote for somebody I supported otherwise because of those things. But I'm not accusing him. I'm accusing the news media. 
I'm accusing the news media for the difference in the way they, they cover these things because it undermines everything they say. It means everything they say is a lie. It means everything they say is political. Women's rights, gays' rights, blacks' rights, it's all of it. They don't care about any of it. They don't care about any of it. They care about one big thing, power. All right. Let us talk about the Benham Brothers. I was talking to the Benham Brothers. I've met the Benham Brothers. They are great, great guys. And, you know, I, I will tell you something else. They were they had a TV show uh, that they were going to have a reality TV show on HGTV. And because of their very conservative religious principles, the left went after them, got threatened to go after all of HGTV's sponsors, and they were dumped. These are guys who stand up for what they believe. They have integrity and they're also just really, really decent guys. And now they have constructed a way of building a biz- building businesses so that the business doesn't consume your life. And I know all about this because my business has certainly consumed my life, but I have tried very hard not to let it uh, detract from my family and not to let it detract from the things that make life worth living. And the Benham brothers know this is a troubling time. They know this is a difficult time. And so they're tailoring their videos to speak to you, to speak to business people in this tough time about how to keep your business alive, how to pivot and make decisions when things change the way they're changing now, but also not to be completely consumed by all the things that you have to do. The Benham Brothers have over a dozen businesses, including a real estate empire that spans over 35 states, and they didn't sell their soul for it, and they want to teach you how to do the same kinds of things. Just this week, the Benham Brothers launched their new course, Expert Ownership. It's the model they've used to build each one of their businesses. Whether you are sick of the nine to five or have a 10-year-old business, Expert Ownership can help you achieve your goals. To celebrate the launch of their new course, they're offering 15% off to new members. You can check out a preview of the course and take advantage of that discount over at BenhamBrothers.com slash Clavin. That's B-E-N-H-A-M Brothers dot com slash Clavin. Head over there to check out the course. And remember, there is an E in Benham, but there is no E, no E in Clavin. There are no E's in I just said that. You don't, you don't have to repeat everything I said. All access. I will be on on Thursday. The other guys are going to be on all week. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's a relaxed uh, setting where we just talk to you and communicate with you. And if you are a subscriber, you can send us questions, send us greetings. We love talking to you. I love talking to you. Uh, I really like hearing uh, hearing from you and communicating with you. And listen, we're all isolated. We're all indoors. So it's nice to get together and do this. This was intended originally for our all access members, the highest level of membership. But during this time of isolation, we've opened it up to all our members. And in doing so, we've accelerated the launch. Please let us know what you think of it. And please come on and talk to us. We again, Again, I just love hearing from people. If you're around at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tonight, join us on the All Access Live show over at dailywire.com. And if you're there on Thursday, I will be there as well. we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. Come to dailywire.com. I forgot to promo the mailbag. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. <laughs> Come to dailywire.com and subscribe. Yeah! Scream like that and then hit dailywire.com. Hit the, the uh, podcast button. Hit the Andrew Clavin podcast. There's a picture of a mailbag. Hit that and you can ask me about anything you want. You can ask me about religion. You can ask me about your personal problems. You can ask me about politics. All my answers are guaranteed 100% correct. You are getting your money's worth and they will change your life. Will they change your life for the better? You're going to have to tune in to find out. Come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe and get your questions into the mailbag. All right, I want to return to this idea of globalism and the elite. And, and really, you know, 
I'm not, I'm not making a sweeping statement, oh, we shouldn't have global trade, we shouldn't have free trade. But I, I got in these arguments with a lot of conservatives at the time where I said, you know, we can't, our country comes first and we cannot have communities falling apart. And the thing, that, the thing about capitalism is it's just like every other ism. It is just like every other ism. Capitalism is great. It's really helpful. It's free, free enterprise, which is not even an ism in a way. But, but still, you can't get so attached to any system that you forget the things that matter most. The, your neighbors, human beings, human good, your country, freedom, which this country represents and defends. Without this country, you think the world would be free. Without our First Amendment, do you think other people would pr protect free speech? They already go after free speech everywhere. But here, it's only here where we have the written down First Amendment and a constitution and a tradition of a free speech. We are defending, we defend freedom around the world. And let me tell you, I've said this before, people always start to argue with me, but then they think about it and they realize I'm right. There's not a single person, male or female, walking the earth who is politically free, who does not owe that freedom to some degree to American treasure and blood. Not one single person. So we count. We matter. We have to take care of ourselves first. We have to make sure, just like when the bag drops in an airplane, they say, put on your breather first so then you can help other people. We have to keep America going. And the thing is, again, I'm not trying to get rid of free trade. I'm not trying to uh, deny that it helps the poor when they get American jobs in some of these countries. But a lot of these countries first, we have to take care of ourselves first and then we can take care of other people just like in the airplane. And like, I, and I think that this is an important thing that Trump got and the elites don't get. And the elites don't feel it because they're making a lot of money off globalism. It works for them. That's why I get so angry. I mean, I, I know Andrew Yang is a, a good guy, but I get so angry when they talk about this universal income, universal guaranteed income, because basically it's saying, oh, you don't need a job. You don't need meaning in your life. You don't need purpose in your life. You don't need the respect of your family for being a breadwinner. You don't need any of those things. Here's $1,000. Go away. Leave us alone while we get fantastically wealthy, fantastically wealthy, selling iPhones that were made by slaves in China. That is not a good system. And I'm sorry, as a conservative, as a conservative person, I know that conservative values are held together by community. Conservative values do not exist in a vacuum. I, you know, when I started the show, I, I used to say I'm an individualist. And even as I was saying it, I was having conversations behind the scenes where I was saying, you know, individualism is not quite the right word. It is not quite what I believe in because I believe we're all connected. I know we're all connected. And I, all, I know all Christians are part of the body of Christ. And I know that anybody can be part of the body of Christ just by saying the word, which means we are all linked together. No man is an island. And so it's not we can't just say, oh, if your community falls, you know, go off and move. That's what the original settlers did. The original settler days are over. They're over. We're now a modern, advanced, technological civilization. When your community falls apart, everything falls apart. We cannot have a country like this. We cannot have the Ameri a country that sells the American dream where so many people are committing suicide because they're out of work, which is what happened during the Obama years. So many people are committing suicide because they're out of work that the life expectancy is going down. Cannot be. That turned around, that turned around under Trump, and it's going to take a hit. We're going to take a hit with this current downturn. But I will tell you, I'm going to pause in what I'm saying just to put in this little uh, uh, go off go off the rails a little bit here and just talk about the economy. Everybody is predicting what a terrible, terrible depression this is going to be. I'm not making any predictions, but I think that those predictions, just like the predictions of worst case scenarios and sickness, I think those predictions are coming 
too soon. One of the things that happened after World War II is America soared. Why? Because all the competition had been destroyed, right? Europe was gone, basically it was in rubble. So America, the American economy soared after World War II. There's a, everybody's economy has stopped. Economics is a competitive business, right? I think that when this comes back, we're going to start competing again. There was nothing wrong underlying the economy except for our debt. I think we're going to start competing again. I think the economy is going to come back stronger than people think it is. But that's just me, and I, I don't know the future any more than anybody else. But my point is this, my point to go back to the original point, that when we talk about America first, it turned out to be the right thing. It sounded bad. They kept saying, oh, it's just like Charles Lindbergh supporting the Nazis and all this. It wasn't. Victor Davis Hanson has a piece at American Greatness. And Victor, I know Victor Davis Hanson is smart because he keeps saying the same things I do too. And he, and he speaks Greek as well. I only sound like I'm speaking Greek. VDH says, certainly candidate and then President Trump's strident distrust of China was annoying to the American establishment. The left saw China in rosy terms as the other that just did things like airports, high-speed rail, and solar panels better than did America's establishment of geriatric white male has-beens. Many on the right saw China as a cash cow that was going to take over anyway, so why not milk it before the deluge? In sum, conventional Washington wisdom assumed that appeasing the commercial banditry of an ascendant China at best might ensure that its new riches led to westernized political liberalization and at worst might at least earn them a pat on the head from China as it insidiously assumed its faded role as global hegemon. I know Victor is right about this because I had these conversations at many dinner tables with many people who I would consider part of the elite where they would say, oh, China's going to be the next big thing and China's going to rule the world and there's no stopping. China. And I would say, I don't know, you know, it's hard to have a free economy when you kill your people when they criticize you. And that's what's happening now with the people who are criticizing the Chinese, uh, Chinese flu response are vanishing. And it's hard to have, pe it's, you know, it's hard to have people come forward with a new idea like we do in America, where somebody says, oh, I'm going to start making pillows, you know, and these are going to be the best pillows and that'll make me a millionaire. It's hard to come forward with a new idea when you're afraid you might get shot, okay? And I think that, that the things that China have, has, have done, China has done in terms of not telling us what was happening, in terms of lying about the number of deaths and illnesses they were having, in terms of getting rid of all the whistleblowers, uh, in terms of sending out faulty equipment and faulty masks and faulty testing devices to uh, their, their people has reminded us of something. America is unique in a lot of ways. But one of the ways it is unique is, is that it has become a massive, massive world power without becoming an empire. And a lot of people, especially before 9-11, a lot of people used to talk about, well, America really is an empire. It just doesn't admit it's an empire. If you're, you're selling Coke in China, then America is an empire. It's an economic empire. Well, no, that's not an empire. An empire is when our troops come into your country and we install the government. That's an empire. That doesn't happen. We don't do it. Even when we do it out of necessity, like in Japan or in Iran, we leave. After, after we get a government that's not going to kill people, we leave. America is the first country ever to do that. Rome didn't do it. Britain didn't do it. Greece didn't do it. Other countries, when they have achieved the world power that we have achieved, have started to take over other countries and seriously become an empire. Now, we haven't done that. But it creates new problems. You know, 
people think things are either good or bad, and that's just not true. Things that are good create bad problems. Things that are bad have good results. It's just the way of the world. It is a good thing, I think, that we're not an imperial nation, although I'm not sure that will last forever, but it's, it's true now. It's a good thing that we're not an imperial nation, but it creates new problems. And one of the problems that it creates is that in dealing with other countries, we are sometimes dealing with people who are evil, unlike us. We have evil people here. There are evil people everywhere. But our government is a good government. It is a free government. It is still a government that has good principles as opposed to the Chinese government, which is a bad government with evil principles. The Iranian government, a bad government with evil principles. That's why you don't deal with them on the same level. And that's why you don't deal in such a way that it elevates their power to the level of yours. That was what was wrong with Obama's, not just his Iran deal, but with his entire worldview is that he had no more moral grading, because the left has gotten rid of the idea of morality, because they think it's all relative, because they think we're bigoted for looking down on other countries, they've gotten rid of the idea of morality, and you cannot do that and let the world and have the world remain free. You can't do it because the good guys have got to win. All right, a final reflection. Speaking of this, uh, things to watch. I'm talking about a lot of stuff to to watch. And one of the things I really am enjoying is Babylon Berlin, a German show on Netflix. I've talked about it before because I watched the first two series, not the most expertly plotted thing. But I have to say this one thing about it. It is about the rise of the Nazis in Weimar, Germany. And it's just a mystery story, a cool little mystery entangled with all the politics and all the culture of Weimar, Germany, which is just fascinating to watch. Also, I love the two leads, Volker Bruch, and leave Lisa Frise. She is absolutely gorgeous. She is such a cutie pie. And Volker Brook just has a wonderful uh, charisma. Uh, it's just terrific to watch them. However, however, I just have to say this one thing. It's about time our artists understood, that our creatives understood, that Nazism can be bad without communism being good, right? The communism, communists are not just lovely idealists who sometimes get things wrong. That's an oppressive philosophy. It hides its oppressiveness underneath a Christian, something that sounds like Christian charity, but it is just as oppressive in the end every single time as the Nazis, just as murderous every single time as the Nazis. It would be nice if we could have some artists with a bit of artistic breath and broad-mindedness who understand that. Plus, on top of which, one of the things they show you in Babylon Berlin is they show you a decadent Weimar society of free love and all kinds of different uh, sexualities just running rampant and being out in the open. They might want to take into account whether that is pleasant. That's nice. It's nice to be tolerant. It's nice to have different ways. It's nice not to oppress people for the way they love one another, but that that too might uh, feed into a sense of chaos that makes people turn to dictatorial leaders. Chaos leads to dictatorship. Freedom leads to the worship of freedom. The worship of freedom leads to chaos. The chaos leads to dictatorship. That's Plato. It's not a secret. People have known it for thousands of years. Babylon Berlin is a wonderfully entertaining show. You should watch it. It's lovely. But it would be nice if our artists would get just a little bit more broad-minded and stop repeating the garbage socialism they learned in school. Mailbag is tomorrow. Get your questions in now. I will answer them and all your problems will be solved. Not just some, but all your problems will be solved right here on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. 
The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, the Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental. And that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen. Listen.